but man thanks for making a bit of time bro just to have a chat um uh, for all those that will be listening and are listening i mean we've got harrison dell from kadena legal crypto tax and legal advice i mean i was having a look at what you're doing man and i mean it's non-stop advising uh, on pro on projects your clientele is extremely diverse and dows exchanges family offices you've co-founded uh juby dow said yep. that right. So, man, I don't know, firstly, how you're sort of keeping up with uh, everything of just what I was scrolling through. I'm like, wow. But I think it's really cool um, to chat to someone who's, you know, quite deep in the legal side of Web3 and crypto because I feel it's something a lot of people don't think about. Um, I didn't think about it myself uh, until tax time came around and that was Crypto Tax Calculator, which I believe you're involved with as well. Yeah, that's right. Very involved. Yeah, man, and I kudos to Crypto Tax Calculator. It made my life a lot easier, especially being a DGen with thousands of transactions on just Binance Network alone. But I mean, how did this journey all start for you, my friend? Um, Kadena Legal, and and then starting to specialize into the Web three uh, arena. Oh, uh, great question! I have to say, you get to talk. I get to talk about myself, which is my favorite topic. Um, so, look, I, I've been pretty much. Uh, 80 90 focusing on crypto tax for almost two years now and that very first sort of uh fray into it it was just by accident so a fellow wanted in he needed some work done he went to a few other lawyers before and i knew enough to be dangerous i knew what wallets are i knew a bit about bitcoin because i did some uh work on bitcoin crypto taxes specifically when i was at the ato many years ago now and and i said look we'll just have a have a fixed fee and i'll figure it out and he said yeah sure that's fine and i said i'm gonna need your help and, and he he was my foundational client he's not it was just one piece of work for him but i said look we'll figure it out together and he's like well no one else has even uh, bothered to do that so we figured it out you know we we found the right people to do the stuff that he needed to do and just on that one job he had three or four other guys that needed something similar or something legal and, and we figured it out as well and, and since then, it's just like, really, I just had a go. And since having a go, realized that it's the same tax law that I've always dealt with, that there's no specific Bitcoin provisions. There's nothing specifically on how the Ether network is taxed. It's, it's all the same stuff. It's just applying it to this new area. And the hardest thing was um, picking up the lingo. Just knowing what private keys are, seed phrases, um, knowing about the recent rugs, knowing about just the way that people talk. And then that got uh, progressively more complex as you know NFT season came and went, I'd even say. But like once I was in it, staying on top of it was, was not too hard. And because I was working in it every single day, it was part of my job to just stay on top of everything. And I naturally did because all my clients are in the space and making friends with my clients talking about what they're doing i got very very deep and, and you know i'm still very deep and i'll probably stay as deep as i can throughout the bear market and even more so in the bull market that's yet to come i mean man we're all praying for that for that bull market to come obviously it's it's tough times ahead uh, we're finding i guess a lot of people starting to steer away from crypto nfts i mean scams are absolutely rampant um did you find that your previous uh, time working at the ATO, the Australian Tax Office, for everyone listening, 
um, give you a bit of an advantage and help your legal progression? I mean, were you doing uh, legal work for them at the time or? Yeah, so at the time I was um, part of the tax council network. So we, we were the tax lawyers for the ATO um, doing all the complex stuff. And, and, and you know, one of the pieces was uh, 2017 about is Bitcoin a CGT asset? Is it subject to CGT? Unfortunately, it is for everybody listening. Um, but it wasn't so much the skills that you learn in particular there, you know, on a, in a particular job. It was understanding how the ATO thinks, how officers think, how the organization works. And you can only ever get that by working there. So I was there for two years, both in audit teams and in um, uh, uh, tax tax council teams. So I really got a good feel for what they think and how they think about it, which is really good when I need to get the ATO sign off on you know some weird issue in crypto, which isn't too often. But when we do, I know how to present it the right way so that it doesn't look like I'm trying to do something silly. We just want to know the answer one way or the other. Yeah, I think people, especially myself being a DJ, it's all of this is so new. I feel we never had the capacity to be able to trade the way we trade. I mean, just sort of instantaneously, you can buy a coin on PancakeSwap, you can sell out quite quickly and, you know, you don't understand. And I didn't understand at the time that, you know, I was triggering taxable events. Um, there was a lot of misconceptions, I feel, uh, regarding all the tax and everything like that, I sort of felt people were, I guess, a bit scared uh, of the ATO and things like that. How have you found um, the misconceptions between the, you know, the everyday person and the ATO when it comes to crypto? Because I feel we're all sort of a bit scared when it comes to this topic. Well, a big, a big part of what I was doing last year was, um, and this year as well, doing a lot of social media stuff. So, you know, I'm on, I'm on TikTok talking about relevant things and, and, and crypto was coming up constantly. And what was really concerning was people were saying, oh, crypto is not taxed, isn't it? Because it's not regulated. And I go, well, no, everything's taxed. Um, whether you're selling NFTs, whether you're selling heroin, whether you're selling uh, tulips, it doesn't matter. It's all in the tax net. The tax net is, own, is not just for things that the government wants in particular and everything else is, is just outside of it. Um, and this is what people don't realize is that tax isn't just how much you pay. Tax is this tool about how the government controls your economic behavior. So it wants you to do certain things and it doesn't want you to do other things. And then crypto comes in and it doesn't have any thoughts on crypto. It just goes into the rules and consequences happen. And in many cases, like at least not very intuitive ones and sometimes really bad ones, like just your example where triggering all of these capital gains events because you're doing all these swaps like that there is no other asset where you can sell you know for example bhp shares for tesla shares and, and pay the brokerage fee in um, apple stock which is effectively what we're doing we're using assets to deal with only and not dealing with cash which just makes the calculations really complicated and that's where crypto tax calculator they fix that issue that, that that's the whole product um but yeah, there was a lot of misconceptions just about how it was treated in the industry at all, because there was nobody out there saying even just basic stuff like, yes, it is taxable. Like, do you think I'd be a crypto tax lawyer if you didn't have to pay tax on it, mate? And they go, oh, yeah, that's a fair point, actually. So yeah, there was a lot of that, a lot of education. This year, it's, it's kind of changed. And I think uh, largely because there's not as many gains, there's a lot more losses. 
flying around so people aren't concerned as much with sheltering their gains as much as um maybe just not doing as much activity trying not to lose money yeah it was all a bit scary i mean uh crypto tax calculator was great for me provided a lot of transparency i could really define you know what was an airdrop you know when you start going deep into the wallets and, and just the amount of things that have happened you know it's it's all a bit crazy do you feel i mean the ato was sort of caught off guard as to how deep the crypto rabbit hole is are they trying to play catch up at the moment yes as an organization yes um there are lots of really skilled officers so there's at least three or four that i know personally that know the industry and the lingo and the common stuff quite well even a lot of the complex stuff quite well but as an organization the ato has said publicly hey crypto tax is a focus for us we're going to be doing a lot of audits now of the eight to ten thousand auditors at the ato i don't think that they have yet to teach them all about how it all works and what to look for they're not all going to be dgens not very many of them actually i think so they've got the capability they've got the data that they get the data from many sources if people think that that blockchain is private they've got another thing coming for them it's a matter of time and capability as an organization level but when they can use that information to start collecting tax from people who, who aren't paying enough who, or who aren't paying the right amount as they more commonly like to say the data is out there anybody thinking that they're anonymous is very likely kidding themselves and even if you are anonymous if later you're not anonymous they can then see everything you've ever done so the risk is too great to not deal with your tax basically and that's really what the ato wants to put out there in the market and they're starting to do that so next year the ato has a few professional events scheduled where they're going to be talking to practitioners directly at some events about how this is supposed to work because the real education well, it's either the um, the commissioner of tax can make a TikTok account and we can stitch each other's videos or they can teach the accountants because the, the accountants are the ones who educate their clients about what their obligations are. So they've got a long way to go on education, on their own internal um, capabilities, but they certainly have the resources to do it and it won't take them more than 12 months, I expect. Do you think what will happen is crypto will continue to innovate because, you know, a few years ago... We Dexes, but they weren't reaching the kind of volume in the case that sometimes you know these decentralized exchanges like uniswap are actually you know providing more trading volume than some centralized exchanges do you think in a few years from now the ato would have caught up but then crypto is leagues ahead and we're doing crazy stuff which isn't even imaginable right now on chain because once again no one was really uniswap you know sure it existed three years ago and there were decentralized exchanges before that but it wasn't reaching that mainstream kind of volume that we were doing now. So do you think there'll be even more chaotic and crazy transactions and the ATO is going to be left in the dust while the DGENs are doing all kinds of crazy on-chain transactions? Or do you think the ATO will eventually catch up or maybe even speed ahead in terms of what we're doing on-chain? I predict that they won't ever speed ahead. Um, I, I believe that the ATO will only progress at the same pace that crypto becomes mainstream so while it's still a fringe activity and it is they're not going to allocate too many resources to it but when it starts to become more common when we have things like 
um, uh, share traders instead of executing their trades via the ASX, they do it via the blockchain and using stable coins and then swapping them on DEXs and, and actually having their own custody. That's when I think the ATO will very, very quickly make the switch to having a great understanding of how the blockchain works and how to extract data. You know, we've, we've already got very good compliance tools out there like Chainalysis, for instance, um, which I've only used briefly, but it's very powerful. And even for someone who doesn't know what they're doing, just someone with an audit capacity, you know, with a with a investigation sort of brain, which used to be me uh, back in the day, they're going to be able to see transactions, understand them, and then just follow follow the piece of string as far as it goes. And the, but they're only going to be doing that at a mass level when there is enough tax to collect on the table, and it's just not there yet. So when it in is bull market, basically, is when yeah. they really clamp down. In the in the bull market, but the next bull market will be the bull market with tokenization of assets. I know that because that's what me and lots of my clients are up to. Um, that that's going to be big. You, you see, the big banks are trying to do it as well, and it's also going to be mass adoption. It's going to hit at that time. Is is my sort of prediction. Whether that's one, two, or three years away, the next run is going to be a lot bigger in volume doesn't mean we're going to get, you know, 1 billion X returns on the next Dogecoin, but it does mean that there'll be more people, more professionals, more value in the network, and then more risk that the right tax isn't being paid. And we're seeing movements, not just at the ATO, but <clears throat> the OECD is putting out um, frameworks for crypto exchanges to report accounts, similar to how bank accounts are reported all across the world because they see and appreciate that this is the alternative banking system that you can turn to currently un unregulated, very little reporting requirements. But as like that, that's, that's all gonna change as mass adoption sort of hits. If crypto falls off a cliff, the ATO doesn't care about it anymore. They're, they're back to auditing the usual suspects. But if it keeps going, they're gonna keep allocating more and more resources as it grows. That's really interesting. Uh, I do have a question for you just on the topic of, you know, kind of what I was tying into earlier about, you know, us being leagues ahead of the ATO and other kind of, you know, people chasing for the tax gains. What are your thoughts on protocols like Tornado Cash uh, and also something like Aztec, which is a layer two, but it's purely private. So it's a ZK EVM. That's a zero knowledge Ethereum virtual machine. So Effectively, a lot of DeFi, a lot of transactions and behavior would be almost entirely uh, private on this on the scale of something like Monero. Do you think that that will potentially even be banned for you know because all that data will be obfuscated and there will effectively be no way for someone to access it in the same way you can access a public ledger like uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum? Have you considered any of those technologies like really disrupting and causing havoc in the tax fee, or has that? Is that still a few years away on your radar? We've we've had this havoc for for many many years. Um, it just wasn't done by crypto. So I've got a very strong background in international taxation, whether it be setting up in the US, UK, in, in sort of you know more more spicy jurisdictions as well as the case may may merit. And you know, pri privacy from the government is not a new thing to desire. Privacy from everybody else is something that we've basically already had, apart from your bank. You know, like I can't go on and figure out your bank account username and see every transaction you've ever done. So privacy 
is um, a good thing overall, in my opinion, and I think we're entitled to it. The problem is when you're vying for privacy on a mass scale and very big financials are involved, uh, ATO and ASIC and the SEC get very concerned about what you're doing behind closed doors, which is understandable, but it's it's part of that balance between uh, the freedom to spend your money how you wish and in private and also the government's need and want to monitor money laundering, tax evasion, and make sure that the, the community is protected against those risks. So there's a balance, and it's not a new balance that we have to, to strike, but those protocols are, in my opinion, good for the system. Privacy, there is nothing wrong with privacy. And demonizing privacy by itself is the same as demonizing cash transactions. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. It's just about how the players behave in private. You look at the players, you don't look at the system. The system can be used for many, many good things. And having all of our banking transactions on Bitcoin, for instance, probably isn't a good idea. I don't want to see, I don't, I don't want you all to see how many times I order Uber Eats every week. I think it'd be quite embarrassing. So we're entitled to that privacy. And I think striving for it on the blockchain is, is, is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I think when it comes to, you know, taxes and all of that and how people view it, I think people need to understand, you know, the yin and the yang of it all. You know, there's a fine line between order and chaos. And I was going to ask, uh, would you have any sort of best practices for our listeners that are thinking about their crypto tax? You know, should they sign up to things like crypto tax calculator, start speaking to uh, an accountant now or you know I think a lot of people are just sort of pushing it to the side and just saying well you know I'm just not going to look at it right now my best suggestion is to just go get a subscription like crypto tax calculator um, it's an annual subscription so you can do you know you can do the last five years at once without any extra cost if you want and actually start tracking your transactions you know once a month or once a week depending on how often you transact because thinking back at, you know, after 30 June and saying, what did I do in September last year is going to be really difficult. So keeping on top of those records, maintaining them is going to make your life a lot easier at the end of the day. It's also going to mean that, you know, those black swan events like FTX, where you can no longer access those records, it means that you're protected from that somewhat because you're staying on top of it. You're not waiting until you have to lodge and then figure it all out later. That's when you get the worst tax outcomes. The best tax outcomes is when you plan and when you're on top of things, which is really boring advice, I know. Um, the other tip is if you're if you're using an accountant and they're not good at crypto and it's a big part of your financial situation, you should probably change accountants. There are at least 10 to 20 in Australia who are excellent at crypto. Um, they, they go from individual size all the way up to large businesses and DAOs, whatever you want in between make sure that you've got the right professionals because what you don't want to do is do all the work and then your accountant doesn't understand it and i saw a lot of reports in the last 12 18 months about people essentially educating their own accountants on how it works which which is a really interesting dynamic um but those accountants that focus on crypto can also do everything else for you anyway and I'm seeing that those accounts are the ones who are succeeding because they can actually do everything the client needs, which is really what you want your professional to do. So stay on top of it, get your account and get them early because these, you know, 10, 20 accountants, no doubt their books will fill up.
if you're scrambling for an accountant at the 11th hour because you just made a heap of money on crypto or lost a lot of money and you want to do it effectively, everybody else is going to be doing the same thing. But if you get on their list now, on their lodgement program now, then you have much better chance of being locked in instead of trying to scramble at 30 June. But no doubt, if you are scrambling at 30 June, you can just give me a bell and I'll, uh, I'll be able to find someone for you. I love that. Thanks. Really appreciate the advice there. Um, I'd like to pivot to the more degen side of things because you're also, um, you've got a few NFTs, most notably an MFR, which I found out uh, just, just about a month ago. Um, you know, what does it feel like to kind of, because I guess you know, when you think of legal and tax kind of things, it's like very rigid, uh, very structured. There's a lot of rules. And then obviously you've got the, some of the NFTs as well, which are more kind of degen plays. Walk us through, are you, do you consider yourself a degen? Are you kind of, you know, placing some risky trades of your own or, you know, risky bets on NFTs or are you usually more conservative in, you know, you're kind of trading and, and degen life? What's, like, I, I, I'm unique in that I'm in the industry professionally, but I'm not a trader. I'm not keeping up with what every project's up to. The only projects that I'm really keeping up with are the ones that are my clients or the ones that they tell me about in particular, um, because otherwise I wouldn't have the time to research it. So a lot of my holdings and a lot of um, things I invest in are related to clients that I know and I trust that they aren't going to rug pull me and I see the value in it. And that's, that's, that's cut my research time down to zero pretty much because I, I've got these relationships with people that I trust. If they're going to pay me tens of thousands of dollars for legal advice on something um, and it's not, you know, how do I rug my customers, then I'm going to have pretty good faith that they're trying to do the right thing, which is a really good sort of first step to take in terms of research front. And I've got that advantage over everybody else I know. Um, in terms of being on the fringe, yes, um, I like to see what's out there and... I'm very big on the tech as a use case. I'm not very big on NFTs in the current market because um, the way I describe NFTs to professionals, I do this session um, every now and then where I have to explain what they are to accountants and lawyers. An NFT is just a piece of paper and with an identifier. And you can put whatever you want on that piece of paper. It can be a board ape, it can be a, an MFA, it can be a lazy lion, it doesn't matter. What matters is, does that thing actually have any value on it? That's the next question. And that's when the utility becomes important. And that's only like the very first baby step in this industry. Like it's it's super early in NFTs. Where it's going is towards financial instruments on the blockchain, whether it be IOUs, loans, we already have flash loans, all sorts of things in the DGEN side, but the traditional side is gonna move in very quickly and NFTs are going to be a very normal thing to say or digital collectible, depending who you're talking to. So I'm I'm very much like right at the razor's edge on a lot of the tech stuff. It doesn't mean that's where all my money goes because I've already got a bit of a, a concentration risk on crypto when, you know, it's about 70% of our client base is, is crypto or crypto adjacent. So um, I try not to invest too much there, but I do like to support my clients when I know they're doing really cool stuff. That's really interesting. I think I really enjoy the fact that because everyone's asking what's the next board going to be. And I think, you know, NFTs weren't on, as someone was around in 2017, uh, you know, it was IPOs back in 2018. And I you would never, you know, never guess that would have been NFT. So it's really interesting hearing your perspective on kind of the tokenization of real world assets. How do you think the average or ordinary, ordinary retail person uh, 
could get in on this next kind of wave? Is there any alpha, like any protocols like publicly, you know, maybe they're, you know, publicly listed on the share market or maybe in the crypto market? Are there any kind of protocols working on things that are adjacent to the tokenization of real world assets or is it more at this stage, this stage and kind of private, no token yet, no working DAP and it's just kind of an insiders only who can kind of get in on this next wave? Well, it's it's very much in the hands of angel investors and VCs at this point. So there are a few tokenization firms out there. Um, there's, I, I think there might be one in Australia. The, the rest are in Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai. I think one's in the US too. And, and they're all very private. They're all really in the infancy of, of, of doing this stuff. We've also got the banks trying to do this stuff. Goldman's is, is trying to um, uh, do some tokenization of bonds we saw. I think in Switzerland that was. So there's movement in the space. It's too early, I think, for retail to get any alpha on it because, well, two, two things, because these projects may not have a token. Um, and I think we need to normalize Web3 businesses that don't have tokens that are tradable on the market. That's not always a healthy thing to have. Um, there is nothing wrong with a private business, especially while a uh, project is spinning up and increasing, to manage it themselves. And the, the users get value from using the network. And, that, and that's the way that retail can participate, not just via ownership at those early stages, which is kind of where the ICO boom fell over, is it gave too many people too much ownership at too early a stage. And I think, it, look, a lot of those founders, they had good intentions and then it became too hard and then they just left with the money. But like, there's just nothing wrong with running it until it's big enough and then it might be listed, it might become a token, but it's not always, like just like NFTs are just a piece of paper, it's not always tokens that you want to buy for a project, you know, whether they call them governance rights or whatever. Um, and I've had this conversation a lot with, with VCs, especially. They don't care if they're buying share equity, units in a unit trust, tokens, NFTs. That's just got to be where the value accrues. If that's where the value accrues, that's what they're going to buy. And I think uh, from a retail perspective, you just got to be careful of looking at a project and saying, hey, is that where the value is going to accrue? If it's you, if you're just really buying governance rights and they might give you an airdrop one day, is that really the value? Or is the value the utility that the project can provide to you, whether it's a DeFi um, protocol or NFT utility? Look at the use case and whether it makes sense for you first. And then look at the project token or equity if you can even have the connections to do that. Um, but I, I, I'm a big fan of network utility over equity ownership for retail, especially. I love it. Thanks for the insights. I guess, you know, I could ask and pick your brain on so many different things. Um, I'll give you the option of answering the next question. Uh, do you want to answer on CBDCs, central bank, uh, central bank digital currencies, or what it's like being a co-founder of JubiDAO and walking us through JubiDAO. I'll let you pick which way you want to take this one, Harrison. Um, let's let's stay on topic. Let's talk about CBDCs, <laughs> at least legal stuff. Mm. Um, my, my opinion of CBDCs is they are not the devil that's been painted to you. It is, I'm saying this to the general retail market and the LinkedIn influencers who say how bad they are. Look, they're, they're not... A net positive for retail for that retail use case only but realistically the first use cases of cbdc's are going to be intrabank and interbank only 
they're going to be for settling debts immediately, settling transactions immediately, which is a net gain for users um, of that network being anybody who uses banking in Australia. Noting that we've already got a digital AUD anyway, it's just managed in this schmozzle of random ledgers and essentially loans that the RBA makes out via issuing bonds and all sorts of tier one capital requirements. Instead, making it more transparent, making it instant settlement or near instant settlement is going to be a net gain. Now, the thing that isn't a net gain is programmable money stop you buying alcohol if you're on Centrelink. That's maybe not a good thing, but that's not the very first use case. And as this sort of progresses, um, we'll see the benefits flow very firstly to institutional and government. And I think retail should be very skeptical and ensure that their needs are being met by being vocal about it. But overall, CBDCs are inevitable, but they are not going to be just the devil. They aren't just trying to control you. This, this is not just government mind games. There are actual efficiency gains here. And they don't really just want to police you and, and, and you're spending. That's not priority one. At least that's what I believe. So, yeah, as long as we're careful with how the development goes, then we'll be okay. And, and I'm somewhat involved in that. But, you know, that's stepping a little bit outside of my, my tax expertise. But I do like to stay abreast of um, what the RBA is up to and the potential use cases as well. I've had a few clients propose use cases to the RBA on CBDCs, um, which they were very receptive for, which is great. Sorry, John. I'll go for it, Dave. Yeah, no, I think uh, the CBDC situation uh, has really run amok. Uh, everyone that I've spoken to on the Dejan side has had this big fear that they're going to force you, you know, you've had too many burgers this week, you have to have a vegetarian meal tomorrow so you can only buy salads and potatoes and things like that. I think there's a lot of misinformation, which is like, I really appreciate this time that we have with you because you've really made a lot of things uh, super clear. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions because um, Kadena Legal, I mean, I loved when I read uh, in your bio that clients describe you as a rare breed of lawyer who's both creative and practical. And I've dealt with a lot of lawyers in my time, in my in real life business, in my Web2 world. Um, I haven't seen the creativity and the practicality at times from a lot of them. So it's super refreshing uh, to read that. When did uh, Kadena Legal start? Oh, well, thanks for the very kind words. And um, you'll have to be a client so I can show you the uh, the creative pragmatism. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kadena, we started uh, February 2022. And um, before that, I was um, a partner at a, a head of tax at a mid-tier firm doing all the same work anyway. And I was getting so much personal um, sort of recognition that I thought, well, let's just do this myself. And it's it's been a great decision because it means that I can take control and, and, and handle the clients how I want to handle them. And, and if you've used lawyers and accountants before who are not creative and practical, they end up taking a lot longer to get to an outcome and they, they actually want to tell you how you should do it to change actually your behavior. Whereas if you say, I want to run a DAO and it's going to be doing all these things, which you know are very risky, I go, great that's fine. That's your risks. We can structure it to fit around whatever it needs to be that you do. But realistically, any sort of legal advice and especially tax advice, there's a risk reward continuum there. 
um, paying zero tax is very risky, very, very risky, very, very high um, reward though. But usually that risk reward does not turn out. And I'd never advise you to do that because you can go to jail for that. But when you start to take you step back from that and go, well, you know, we can get pretty good outcomes here with, with paying this sort of tax base in this sort of structure. And here's how we have to behave. Um, I very much design it so it makes sense for you. I don't have many pull out of a hat structures. I've done this 150 times. I know it works. And here's your bill. Pretty much everything that we do at Kadena is bespoke work. So uh, we've got myself and I've got um, two senior lawyers, uh, Patrick and Sasha, who are both excellent. And it's it's not like some lawyers. It's just pushing paper. It's 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 volume of transactions, which is fine as a as a model. But our stuff is very individualized. And in this market, I can't just say, yeah, you do do the same thing as this project over here it's exactly the same because it almost never is. You've got founders all over the world. Um, you've got capital raising via NFTs, which is just problematic by itself. People doing all sorts of things that are maybe not legal in Australia, but they're legal in the rest of the world. So we need to make decisions about where we locate this business. It's, it's all very um, ingrained in your facts. And I'm very good at understanding your facts and very quickly saying, I see some solutions here or that I don't. And you've got a real big problem on your hands. Um, and I don't gatekeep that as well. Like I've had lots of clients come in and they want to do something. And I say to them that, look, this is going to cost you X amount of money to do it legally. And they say that they don't have it. And, and I say, well, look, you need to go actually get that money first. And some of them have been successful in that and some others. But that's better than giving a low quote, doing a few bits and pieces. It's set up and then people start going to jail, which is what we've seen in previous iterations of um, not crypto, but previous iterations of, of tax cycles where taxes were quite high and people start doing silly things to, to avoid them. So yeah, if you have any any problems, you just let me know and I'm, I'm pretty good at solving them or, or finding someone who can. Yeah, I love the whole transparency because you guys are doing a lot. I mean, Australian taxes, commercial law, international taxes, an extremely strong focus on crypto assets and Web3. Uh, it's a full plate, my friend. Um, on a more personal note, I mean, how do you sort of manage this sort of workload? I mean, what, what's driving you guys at the moment? Managing the workload is by myself would be impossible. So um, in terms of like, you know, I've got a team, as I mentioned before, they're both quite senior lawyers as well. Like they, they can take on matters and run them pretty far themselves with, you know, just a bit of guidance from me, which is great. Um, we are a very top heavy practice and that's the way it has to be to actually give advice. Otherwise it's really just employing people to do paperwork for me. So we need to do more work in the industry. So we've got more qualified advisors that, that we could. And um, what was the other question, mate? Actually, I've forgotten. Sorry, <laughs> it takes a second to get off this view. Um, what drives you, man? What This passion in Web3, I mean, what what's the driving cause behind really deep diving into seeing that there's a niche, there's a lack of education here. What's really driving that for you? Ah, yes, great question. And the two things that are, oh, the three things that are driving me is is number one, it's it's massive intellectual stimulation on this 
um, on the tax advisory point, this is just like unheard of issues, um, unheard of complications in, in archaic law. As, as a massive tax nerd, it's it's just it's it's a dream. Sort of beyond that, like I'm pretty deep beyond just tax in the industry, where you know Juby Dow that, that John mentioned before is something that I co-founded because we we see issues in the market and, and we can build solutions. I, I like building solutions. As a tax lawyer, I sell solutions. That's that's what we do. I don't sell more problems because then people stop paying you very quickly. They're the two biggest drivers. And, and the third biggest driver, and I think uh, a lot of people um, would have this one as well, is financial gain. Like there is an opportunity here to make like insane amounts of money by just being early and taking advantage of opportunities that, that, that come past. I just see so much value for the world and I can take my clip along the way that I just it's a, it's an opportunity that I think other lawyers are just silly for not doing more in the space. Yeah, I think that's super important. You know, they always say, uh, you know, fortune favors the bold. And I've said it to a lot of people, take the time out to learn this market. You can create intergenerational wealth uh, for all your family. It's it's truly a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity. And, and for everyone listening, I mean, you know, Take the crypto tax side seriously. If you need the advice, get the right advice, especially, you know, from the team at Kadena Legal. If anyone did need uh, to reach out, Harrison, what would be the best way uh, for them to reach out to Kadena Legal? The best way to find us is our website, which is kadenalegal.com.au. Um, there's a multiple ways you can get in contact with us. We've got a Discord server, which is pretty active, where... You can ask whatever silly questions you want, or you can find an accountant there, or you can talk to us. Um, you can send us a, an inquiry from there. You can follow me on TikTok as well, which is Harry Dell Tax Talk. Um, you can literally ask me questions, and if it's a good question, I'll make a video for you. There's, yeah, whatever platform you want to interact with me on, I'm probably there. For everyone listening, I mean, you know, we're going to put all the socials up uh, as well to click on all the links, make sure you follow the TikToks. Uh, keep following Kadena Legal because there's a lot of fantastic advice coming from the team there. Harrison, generally before we wrap it up, there's always uh, a question I love to ask about mental health. Uh, do you have any tips out there for anyone struggling at the moment? I'm sure you've seen both sides of the coin uh, with what you do with the legal practice. So any tips for our listeners? Yeah, it, this one's probably aimed at um, at professionals. Uh, not just lawyers, accountants, but, you know, whether you're in marketing or advisory or, or whatever, is you know, it was introduced to me a couple of years ago now, the, the concept of work-life integration. Not I have my work life and I put my work life down and then I have my home life, but my work life and my home life are, are mixed in just the right way where I can still put my work down, but my friends are work friends, you know, they're clients. And that's how I get closer to them is that, you know, when I hang out having beers over the weekend, it's often with people who are my clients. And and then they know my kids and they know my fiance and they they come around to my house. It's if you try and live two different lives in one, you're gonna have problems. But if you try and merge them as, as safely and slowly as you can, to be your life is hanging out with people that you like in, in Web3, and also your family knows them as well, whether they're in Web3 or not, doesn't matter. My six-year-old certainly isn't yet, but that's that's a much healthier way than trying to live a double life, which is what modern society wants you to do. And I work a lot from home. 
Um, I meet clients in my home sometimes. I meet them at the cafe down the road. I go to barbecues. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm mixing my family and my work together in a healthy way. That's, I think, the best way to do it because then you've got even more friends than you had before and you all have similar interests and they're just you're just going to like each other. And, and that's my biggest tip for professional services in general. Any accountants or lawyers listening is you just need to make friends with your clients. You need to be friendly. If they don't like you, they won't work for you. So it, it everything mixes together of just be a good person, be a nice person that people like to be around, be helpful. I don't charge them for, for 20 seconds of advice when they ask me at the barbecue and just good things will come. I love it, man. I uh, believe in that ethos so much as well. So guys, for everyone listening, I mean, we're going to, like I said, put all the socials up. Harrison, thank you so much uh, for giving us some time today and, you know, deep diving into a bit about the crypto tax laws and everything that comes with that. Um, guys, you've got Shaheen and John from the DJ Aussie Apes signing out. Make sure you like, listen, subscribe, and we'll see you soon.